Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is our last episode in our Oshkosh 2019 series. So the show is over. It's a few days. We've all been home. A few days after the show has ended. And enough time to recover and think back on our week at, at AirVenture and reflect on the experience. So we'll talk about some of the things that stand out in our memory and some of the highlights and challenges that we saw from our own perspectives. So guys, uh, let's start with the good stuff. Um, let's Let's go with some of the things that were just super cool and impressive. So, John, why don't you kick it off? Well, the super cool stuff, I think, um, you know, the show, you know, this is my ninth consecutive year of being at the show. So it's a lot of the same stuff. But, um, you know, one of the things that kind of piqued my interest was the LC-130s, uh, 130, that came in. That is the exact same plane that uh, we had down in Antarctica um, from the uh, New York Air National Guard. Uh, and I was able to get up close and look at, at some of the stuff that I couldn't see when I was down on the ice. So you know, the skis, how it actually, the skis tuck up underneath the plane, that was really cool to me. So that was my highlight of the whole show. Well, and for people that were at SOS Brothers, uh, I think it was Monday night and we were hanging out there, um, you know, they didn't hear this whole thing play out. So I'm just going to recap it for the home audience here. So apparently, going to Antarctica is a really, really big magnet for the girls because John was working his magic by picking up on the bartenders. And he would say, hey, uh, didn't I see you down on the ice in Antarctica? Yeah, yeah, you look just like somebody who's down there. And then when she'd be like, no, no, that wasn't me, he'd just uh, strike up a conversation. And it was working like a charm. So well done, John. Uh, keep using that Antarctica as a great pickup line. Well, and, you know, of course, if we're going to talk about Sauce Brothers, we have to go down the path of, uh, with all those chicks, um, you know, kind of gravitating towards me, um, I had to, you know, deflect to Gary. And, and Gary had to. What? You had to share the wealth. Well, not share the wealth, but I, I needed you to, you know, be my uh, my wingman. And you took the bullet, and you went ahead and and did the beer bong. And you know, not a lot of guys would do that for me. <laughs> Any day, buddy. My motto is: you buy, I slurp. <laughs> and we did buy. You did not pay for that beer. I, I am pretty sure I can do better than six seconds next time. However. You know, we weren't we weren't uh, timing it. It was more was. just the experience. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. <laughs> yeah, SOS Brothers was in rare form. Uh, it was really uh, the ambience was great. The music was was good, and uh, apparently the beer was never ending because I saw a steady line of beer bongs all night. Yeah, it was fun. All right, so what else, Gary? What what's on the top of your list that you saw that was really cool? Well, you know, the thing I just thought was so different this time, and you guys will probably agree, is that last hurrah of the nighttime fireworks Wednesday night with that little miniature atomic <laughs> mushroom uh, cloud. cloud was just phenomenal for a fireworks demonstration. Yeah, yeah. 
I agree. It was a super solid fireworks show in its own right. And then that finale, I have never seen anything like that. Shooting fireworks into a rising mushroom cloud. It was incredible. Yeah, that cloud went up really quite high, too. That's what really impressed me is how long it kept, it kept on expanding and expanding and expanding. Right. What impressed me is they must have had about 15 other jerry cans full of gasoline because they kept blasting those things off about every 15 minutes until about midnight. Yeah, they were just trying to get rid of the stuff. I don't know what they were doing with it. But... You know they were having you felt, a good you time. Felt some, you, felt some, you felt some heat off that thing, too, at the end. Oh, yeah. I guess they had hours mar- marshmallow roasts or something. Yeah, it lit the area up, and yeah, you definitely felt it. And we were on the other side of the airport. We were, I don't know how many hundred yards away, but we were quite some distance. Hmm. Yeah, that was uh, definitely a highlight in my book, too. That's uh, probably the best finale fireworks show I've ever seen. I don't know if I'll see anything like that again. Well, if I'm still up, you know, as far as something really unique, again, this was kind of an interesting air venture for me is that, as you guys know, I was asked to participate in the home-built showcase flyby uh, that they do on Tuesday afternoons before, uh, you know, before some of the bigger attacks come along. And so they chose, they came up and asked me when I first tied down there on, on Sunday morning if I'd be willing to do it, and said, sure. Started filling out a bunch of forms and had to send in my license and insurance and registration and all kinds of stuff. Had to go attend a... Uh, pre-flight briefing to talk about what you're going to do, the laps you're going to take, the flight line restrictions. And then about 13 of us uh, from a variety of different type of home-built aircraft uh, got to, you know, do a couple of passes you know, along the, the flight line there in front of the audience as they spoke about our planes. So, you know, low energy environment activity, but boy, it was still kind of cool just to been able to participate in it, And I really enjoyed that quite a bit. Hey, Gary. Yeah, Gary, I'm a little disappointed that, they, they said that you could have a crew member if they were uh, critical or uh, required for the flight, and I definitely could have been required. Well, I don't know. The only person I knew was brain dead, so I didn't, you know, I thought that would be hard to call him critical. <laughs> your your EFIS was flaky. I mean, we needed you needed to have me with my iPhone going, oh, hey, we're level now. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, well, fortunately, that was all after that, so we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> Gary, I saw you. I was, I was back off the show line over by the, the NASA tent watching you do the flyby. And um, that purple just really popped. Even from being quite a ways off of the main line, it really looked good. Really sharp. Yeah, Gary, well, that, Gary, where'd well, you get that purple? Nice where'd you get that purple? <laughs> my, my, my royal purple. Yeah. I mean, where, where did I get it? Your purple nose, you know, your purple-headed love dart there. <laughs> I think it came from 3M. <laughs> Gary, you're just going to have to just fess up and just tell everybody <laughs> that was John's handiwork that got you famous. So, uh, No, yeah. actually, Gary, well, Gary, we, we share 50-50 on that. We both fought that thing on. Yeah, well, Gar- Gary and I have something in common. We were superstars for – we were almost air show pilots for a short time, and mm-hmm. John – is actually wrapped both airplanes. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I have two airplanes that were and in next the show. Year, next year, he'll have a third one in the show. Oh, yeah. Super B is going to definitely be in that show. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well done, Gary. Thanks. All right, Mike. Oh, and Gary, I, I love the uh, <clears throat> YouTube video you have out with the 3D because it's kind of cool to be able to pan over and look at the show and stuff while you're flying. That, that is pretty neat. That's, 
Yeah, it's kind of a different perspective, wasn't it? I was hoping I could do both. I shot one outside with the 360, of course. Uh, and then, of course, I had one on the inside, which is a separate video, because I can't seem to find a way to mesh the two uh, films together. And so, you know, the one on the inside talks about, shows pictures of the pre-flight briefing and us taxing down the flight lines and just kind of hanging out and then kind of the departure sequence and what it's like to actually fly the patterns. But yeah, the 360 outside has gotten quite a bit of attention. And that was pretty cool. Cool. All right, Mike. Anyhow, well, I mean, I didn't fly up this year because I, my schedule was getting condensed. And uh, that's because, Mike, you were, was, you were busy trying to help the FAA sort out that silly little Max problem, right? I, I am. I was. Yeah. Well, but, you're getting uh, close. My, so just keep keep up the good work. But but I guess my uh, my uh, the notice I had was I thought was pretty cool and also kind of uh, interesting is Boeing uh, really 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 was trying hard as far as PR goes because that Boeing Square was chock full of Boeing airplanes. It's like, hey, we're here. We're here in business. We're come by us. You know, they had a United Dreamliner, United Dreamliner, the 747-8. They had the KC-135 tanker, 767. I know. Southwest is listening. (laughs) They they probably are. (laughs) But anyhow, uh, it's amazing, uh, all the Boeing, parentheses, Boeing airplanes. I thought that was pretty neat, but yet on the other hand, it's you can see where they're scrambling with the big uh, PR issue, so... Well, and, and to, to be fair, you know, Boeing has a lot of diverse projects, and they've been around for a long time. They do. So it's only natural that they would have a big footprint. And, uh, you know, they could use a little positive press. They've, they've gotten a well, couple that's of black guys of, recently. Yeah, it's a, a big black guy, and that's and they're actually pushing. You can tell they're really trying to overcome that. So yeah. hopefully uh, hopefully the, the other airplane will be back in business. And so of, sounds like the first of the year now. So. Of all the Boeing planes in the square, what was your favorite then? Uh, all the boat probably the uh, probably the Dreamliner probably the seven eighty seven. That would have been the one I that would have been the one I would really want to fly. Mm, yeah, if I had the chance. Yeah, <clears throat> that's the most high tech uh, one that was sitting there. So, or you could go the opposite direction and try to fly the B twenty nine. So you know, that's true. Or the B twenty nine or the B seventeen was sitting there too. So, you know, so yeah. Well, cool. Although, you know, actually, that 747 UPS plane was massive and and very impressive. But I just was not willing to sit in line in that hot weather for half hour, 45 minutes to to walk through it because I knew it was just a big cargo plane. Yeah, that's all that is. I mean, it's kind of cool to see it. The cockpit is pretty much what, what I'm used to seeing. So, you know, and all the guys that fly those say they're the easiest airplanes to fly. Literally, out of all of them. Hmm. So, anyhow, but yeah, it's it, this, the Dreamliner is the one that always catches my eye. So, yeah. Anyhow, but that that was my uh, that was kind of cool. Uh, other than that, I was just looking for electronics and gizmos, and there's some cool engines out there. Did you buy any gizmos? Uh, I did not. I didn't buy anything. I bought a wallet. I don't know I why. Bought, I, don't, I, I, I bought a big skinny wallet. <laughs> yeah. I did convince John to buy a, a trinket, however. What did you buy, John? Uh, oh, you bought a... You know, I'm a sucker. <laughs> so 
you know, we all came into the show going, oh, we need this prop balancer and we're going to get this coalition together and we're all going to pay $100 and, and someone's, you know, we're just going to buy this thing. Well, after going to his little uh, hour long seminar and then talking to the guy a bit, I went ahead and bought the damn thing. Um, and uh, it was a coalition you know, of one. It's a coalition of one. Gary's going to be my gonna first have- prop balance. Because we're gonna be his oh, guinea pig, and then yeah, we're gonna we're gonna offer it out to the science community to help defer the cost because it was fairly expensive. But I think the uh, this dynamic prompt balancer is going to be a real big benefit to the community. Cool. Yeah, you can count on me. So Gary, when you're done with yours, uh, send it out this yeah. way. All right. Same here. Nice. Well, no, well, you're, Mike, you're, you're, already, you're already here. up. You're already up three hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. So, how about the adventure to get to Air Adventure? Well, I, let me uh, let me offer a couple highlights from my spot. Um, I, the air shows, you know, like John, you said, a lot of the aerobatic acts, we see a lot of the same performers year after year. But this year, there were two things that stood out in my mind. One, they had a ton of fighter flybys. You know, this was the year of the fighter and whatever that means going in. But they really, really rolled out the stops. And they had daily F-22 and F-35 demos. And then a couple of times they flew A-10s and they had T-38s flying by and just really cool stuff like that, military related. But those F-22 and F-35 demos, those guys were ringing those things out every single day. I mean, just incredible pull-ups and really hard brake turns and really cool to watch those guys fly them. That was interesting in my book. And then the other air show acts that I enjoyed were the multi-airplane acts. In the past, it's been one top-notch performer doing their normal air show routine. Uh, and now it seems like what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring multiple performers together. And so you have a, a show that has two or three or four airplanes. So that was really cool. And the best one was, unfortunately, after you guys left, it was the Thursday afternoon air show where they had the twin yak flying with screaming Sasquatch. And they were both basically oh, jet-powered wow. airplanes zipping around the sky. And that was just a really incredible show. Uh, in the past, they've flown it mostly on the prop. And then at key strategic points during the demonstration, they'll fire off the jet engine and blast up vertically and, you know, zoom really fast. And, and that's been cool. But for this last one, they reversed that whole formula. And it was mostly on the jet engine with a little bit of prop thrown in just to kind of break it up here and there. And that was just, it was, it was interesting seeing these airplanes going way faster and way, you know, more vertical performance than we've ever seen them before and doing it simultaneously together. Pretty cool. That, yeah. That sounds pretty cool. He did a, a maneuver, which I don't know what he calls it. I described it as a pinwheel maneuver where he pulls up vertically and then he must throttle one engine forward and, and reduce power on the other side or possibly even put it into reverse. And the airplane just pivots about its, its center, about the cockpit, and it just sort of does this pinwheel. And you can see a, a regular aerobatic monoplane do a, a full turn vertically like that. Well, he was doing double pinwheels, and towards the end of that Thursday show, he actually did a two and a half and almost made it around for a third, and that was just incredible. Airplanes are not supposed to do that. They're not supposed to park in the sky doing pinwheels. And then as his his culminating maneuver, he went into an inverted flat spin, and I swear 
he was going so fast in this inverted flat spin that not only did he descend very slowly, it appeared that he actually climbed vertically while in, in the inverted spin and then kind of settled back through smoke and came back down. And that was a just a mind blower. I've seen RC airplanes do stuff like that. Never a really huge full-scale airplane do anything remotely like that. I was wow. impressed. I was like Bermuda Triangle. Well, so. you know, Jeff, yeah. every year I'm seeing these guys going out and doing in manned airplanes what you see in RC airplanes. And I, I, I think the next stage is we're going to see someone land vertically in one of those aerobatic planes, just hovering it all the way to the ground and just landing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be cool. You have to get some big shock-absorbing landing gear and just kind of plop it down like a stole plane. I, I don't think – I think it's going to be gentle. I think it's just going to come down just like an RC plane and go, okay, we just got more power than we need, and we're just going to drop it in. Yeah. Huh. That'll be an exciting act. And it'll be at Oshkosh. Some of the That's other things the first that I really yeah, like – Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say – they they seem they tend to have the first for everything up there. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they if they unveil new things, it's always there. So go ahead. I was just going to say uh, the the other things along the you know the warbirds and flybys, they had the twin Mustang and and they flew that thing and that was a it's a really unique airplane when you see it. It doesn't really look like a Mustang. You know the, the landing gear are a little bit different. It has a very different look when it's sitting on the ramp, but in flight it just has a a very large, graceful elegance. And it was cool to see that thing in flight in its natural habitat. And in addition to the twin Mustang, they had a beautiful, absolutely gorgeous British Mosquito twin twin engine, uh, you know, light bomber from World War II that they flew. And that thing was, I mean, it had to be fresh out of the restoration shop. It looked absolutely pristine, just poking around, looking up inside of it. Everything was perfect and brand new. And they flew that in the air show several times, and seeing here and that thing fly was a treat as well. What what was the what was the long British, the the single engine that looked a little bit stretched? It looked like a P forty, but it was stretched, and it was a. Uh, it flew. I think it flew also. The only one I remember it, seeing was a Spitfire. I'm not sure if that's the one you're describing or not. It just looked a little bit long. And and the back seat didn't have forward view. It was like it just had some windows out the side. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. It was it was very long and very big. Well, another aspect that I really enjoyed was the the new um, vendor area for the home built vendors. You know, there was a little bit of concern as to how that was all going to play out, and I think it was a huge step up. You know, it's. The area is definitely more centrally located. You had nicer paved access areas and grassy areas to, to for the booths themselves. Plenty of room. The, the, the booths didn't look like they were crammed, you know, one on top of the other. And uh, saw a couple of new interesting things. So, you know, we're always looking at future projects down the road. And there were a couple of, you know, attractive new entrants that like to be following over the next year or two. Yeah, I like the new location myself as well. Yeah, I think it was pretty nice. But do do we have? Uh, did you ever hear back from Sonics, or have they come out with any kind of uh, activity numbers or anything like that yet, or not? Uh, not from Sonics directly. I, I I did get the summary from EAA about the overall show stats, but yeah, something like an impressive six hundred twenty-five thousand visitors. Yeah, well, that's 
Oh, let me pull it up here and I'll just give the quick rundown. You know, one of the things that I noticed, and I think Sonic's was the loser on this, was Sonic's always had, you know, they had the end corner corner right against the show line. And so they could bring the, you know, those of us who flew in could be part of the booth. And this year they were on the other side of the fairway. Yep. You could park, you know, they parked you close enough, but tell you the truth, I never walked over and looked at any of the Sonics in, in, in Sonics parking. That's where Bob Micah was and some of the other guys that didn't camp, but they had flown in. So I think they lost a little bit of that community of, hey, you know, we got 15 Sonics here and we're part of the, the booth. Yeah, it would not surprise oh. me if EAA adjust how they park airplanes on the show line. Because before, all the past grand champions and the thousand-hour flying home belts and, you know, kind of their special emphasis airplanes were in front of the old federal pavilion. There was really nothing to compete with them there. But now that the vendors are right there, I think they're, they may have to adjust and, and park customer aircraft like the Sonics Row and the, you know, other airplanes closer to their respective booths and move those other airplanes somewhere else. Yeah, if they if they could have parked them straight out from you know how they had the 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 Xenos and uh, and uh, one of the other airplanes over there and they were like had for sale signs on them you know type thing, if they'd have parked them right out the row from that, that would have been perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that would have been very similar to what they had before, but yes. it didn't happen. Yes. Yes. And I don't think any vendor. I don't think Zenith had that. I don't think. Uh, Vans didn't have it. Vans didn't have it. Well, Vans, you know, everybody's in, in camping and, and parking. You know, they, they have, have giant. Yeah, they have yeah. them everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of those they companies, you know, they rely on that. You know, if you uh, Bearhawk, for example, you know, there were a handful of Bearhawks that flew in, customer airplanes that flew in. It would have been really nice to have them all consolidated right by the booth so you could walk over and take a look at actual examples. Same thing with Sonics. RV, like you said, they're everywhere, so that's a little different. But some of these planes that you don't see very many of them in customer hands, we want to have them all consolidated. We don't got to go hunt them down. Hmm. Well, here are the quick summary stats that EA sent out after the show. Uh, 642,000 total attendees. They said that's 6.8% above last year's total. There were... Uh, they said 10,000 aircraft arrived in the greater area. That's not just at Oshkosh, but that's at some of the outlying areas. 16,000 aircraft operations at at uh, Whitman Airfield. 2,700 airplanes, or 2,700 total show planes, of which 1,000 were home-built, and 590 of those were camping home-built. And then 1,000 vintage, 400 warbirds. That's the part that blew my mind, 400 warbirds. That's a huge amount. Wow. And then uh, increases everywhere else. Uh, nearly 200 ultralights in light sport, over 100 seaplanes, and 60 aerobatic aircraft. So, I mean, that's that's really good. It, it's a lot of times the seaplanes, you just have a handful that are represented. I didn't realize there was over 100. That's crazy. And then uh, camping. And I see something like a 127 uh, operations per hour. To yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was the average... Um, over the period, 127 takeoff or landings per hour. Mm. That's crazy. And then uh, just they said they had uh, 12,000 plus campsites registered, 
for up, uh, an estimated 40,000 campers. So that's just crazy. That's but they, they police that they police that pretty hard too, <laughs> as John will know. Hey, that's why there's an extra home-built camping uh, uh, airplane registered that didn't it's, show up. It's it's twelve thousand and one. <laughs> All right. Well, what else? Um, maybe we maybe let's talk about some of the things that uh, that we saw from a from a Sonics specific perspective. So we, we hinted on the Wednesday night, uh, fireworks display, but, uh, what'd you guys think of the Wednesday night party? Oh, that was great. It, there's more people there than, than I've ever seen. I think. Yeah. Robbie said it that we had over a hundred people there. Wow. I mean, there are people there. I didn't even meet, you know, it's kind of that I'd never seen before. Which is kind of nice. It's like new faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, it, it seemed to me to be about the same size as a lot previous years, but I guess, yeah, the numbers say that. I don't recall exactly what the total registered last year was, but I want to say that it was in the maybe 70, 80 range. So I think we had a, a sizable little bump over what we've had in the past. And it, and it all just had to, it, it's hard to, you know, figure out because it all dispersed too quickly because of uh, the storms last year. So right, yeah, you know. that's true. Yeah, the weather was perfect on Wednesday. Just couldn't ask for anything better. And then in the campground, there were ten Sonics airplanes parked in Camp Sonics, and I- I'm really pleased to see that. I think that kind of solidifies that we have staked our claim to the area along the ditch, and that is now firmly entrenched as Camp Sonics. So. That's right. Uh, I'm glad. Now we don't have Jeff, to necessarily Jeff, is this fight. our third year? This is the third year that we've had that location, yeah. The third year, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So now the marshals ought to yeah, just know that's let... where you take them. Yeah. Well, and, you know, me and Gary could not go there because of the the conditions, but we would have been there. Uh, I would have demanded Gary drive me there because he was <laughs> my chauffeur. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> And I know there was at least one other Sonics parked in uh, just somewhere else in homebuilt camping that couldn't get there because, again, they had um, soft conditions and they didn't want to move after they got parked. So, And then there were, I don't know, probably about five that were on in just the homebuilt parking on the show line. So pretty good representation from Sonics. So hopefully next year, you know, we'll have me and, and uh, John and then maybe Mike Farley will be able to get back up there. Mm-hmm. So along with along with maybe some other people. So hopefully we'll have a bigger presence next year even. So. Yep, yep. And, and I, and I for one, am psyched that no B model showed up. So yeah, still you're have gonna, the you're opportunity be the, to be the first customer B model to show up at Doshkosh. You will, you will be the first. You're going to have to get well, there know, early but, just to make sure you don't get cheated out. might beat you. <laughs> I heard uh, I heard a little bit of trash talk, and that others were going to try to yeah squeeze you out. So I don't want to see. Yeah, you lose. no, it's I know it's going to be the case, and I'm not happy about it. But you know, I I love love a challenge. Well, you know, it makes the victory that much sweeter, right? It will, and I will crush my competitors. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably going to have to plan to leave two weeks early. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Pretty much, Tim, Tim Reed is like, oh, I'll see about that. <laughs> He's making good progress too. He's going to be hot on your heels. And then uh, our Sunday evening kickoff dinner at Jeff's on Rugby. There were 27 people at that, 
And uh, that turned out to be a ton of fun. I'm, I'm glad we're doing that again. And I think we'll just keep doing that as well. Yeah, that grew quite a bit this year too, didn't it? But we're going to have to really put our heads together for who's going to who's going to get the uh, the commemorative recognition trophy for next year. Each yeah, each year, yeah. Maybe what we'll have to do is a, a month or two prior to, to Oshkosh, we'll have to open it up for nominations, and people can send us nominees that we can consider, and then you know select one. Oh, there you go. You mean who we're going to roast? Yeah, who we're going to yeah, roast? It, you right. know, that that's another way of looking at it. <laughs> Well, I think the aluminum granola was appropriate, and that was. Uh, and you just got to figure out something with the super B. I mean, come on, we already got it laid out. Mm-hmm. But we can't let you know ahead of time, John. No, I know. This is like a surprise. Well, you have a whole year to to do something that will self nominate you. So there you go. Right. You just have to get after it. So. John, John has a year to do something stupid, is what you're telling me. I think he can well, pull it off. <laughs> I got a weekend. I got a weekend to fin- finish you know, you, that you, out. You think about how the how the military guys get their call signs. There's a, there's a there's a certain re- something's going to happen to get John his award, <laughs> right? Yeah, Poss- possibly. <laughs> Not too bad though, you know. Yeah, and and then uh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the two place jet presentation that John Monette gave. That was a very intriguing project. It looks like they're making good good progress in getting that design finished up and fleshed out. And, uh, you know, it's a very affordable jet club, so if anybody's interested, you need to send me a note. <laughs> I, I, I'm building one for Mike. I just yeah, wait yeah, for the kit right, to come. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'll put a link to the P.O. box you can send your checks to, so just uh, keep them coming in. That's right. <laughs> I, I am surprised that they did not have you know, something that you could like sit in, like the, you know how they have the little subsonics little thing you could sit in it and try it on. I'm surprised you just didn't build le- at least that. Well, I don't think just to kind of, just to kind of spark everybody's interest. Now. Yeah. I don't think that they um, made up their mind to make the announcement until right before Oshkosh. Cause, cause uh, John Monette made a kind of a snide comment at the beginning of his presentation. He's like, uh, and uh, you all know about it because Mark decided to tell everyone. And it was kind of that, you know, like, <laughs> I wasn't ready for it, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Like so it was Mark, last minute. You saw, and you saw Mark wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, John was there. Yeah, but so. I think it totally was the right call. You know, if you're going to make a big announcement, you want to do it at AirVenture when everybody's there. and Sure. Anyway. Actually, hey. um I got a call from AOPA, and they said, hey, uh, you're still working on the Jet Club. We want to do an article on it, so maybe there'll be an AOPA article about a there you uh, go. a new and novel uh, flying club opportunity. We'll see how go. it goes. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Put that out there and see how you get, you get a lot more takers that way, maybe. Yeah, I just need you know one or two more big spenders, and we'll have enough yeah. uh, critical mass to kick this thing off. Is, is Mike on your list? Uh, he, yeah, we he, need to work on it. He, I'm pretty sure I got a commitment out of him. I'm, I'm pretty I, sure. All right, all right, good, good, good. Just want to kind of like maybe, maybe wishy washy sorta. I don't know yet. <laughs> I think the twin Sonics is going to be kicking him over because then he can just get a CFI again and uh, check people oh. out in this thing. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Retirement project. There you go. That's it. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about the things that. Maybe didn't go so hot. So, Uh-oh. yeah. Uh oh. Go ahead. Somebody, somebody, kick it off. 
Well, you were a driver. So, you know, if you had a problem with uh, your car and you had to rent a car and, and, uh, you know, throw your whole family into that thing and drive for 18 hours and yeah, that, that's one thing, but riding in a friend's experimental aircraft he built in his garage, which worked flawlessly, absolutely flawlessly, uh, all the way out and then worked less than flawlessly all the way back. That's a whole different story. All right. Well, then we're, we're going to need details. We're going to need full details. So start at the beginning and leave nothing out. Let's, um, let's let's set up set this thing up about how this is not a Sonics aircraft. Just let everybody else out there know. No, 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 no. no it, it could have been a Sonics aircraft. It could absolutely. It, it, it could have absolutely been, irrelevant yeah. to the model. Okay. Just um, just so we're not bashing Sonics. I happen to fly a Zenith CH750 cruiser currently. Yeah, yeah, we're going to cut that part out. So just keep going. Yeah, I know. So anyway, <laughs> with Tundra so, tires. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a hybrid. Everything's a hybrid that I do. You can leave the Tundra tire thing in there. <laughs> well, we have to. <laughs> That's right. Um, so anyway, uh, my son bailed on me at the last moment. So John had been begging me and drooling me and kissing my yeah. butt and hanging my Pretty leg, much. Yeah. looking for a seat in order to go to Oshkosh with me this year. So. When my son bailed, I called John up, and he just started salivating, and he said, okay. He was even so anxious to go with me because I told him my plan was to leave at 3 a.m. in the morning so that we could beat the weather and the, and the influx to, to, to rip on and fisk, and that was the idea. So impressed was I with John that he actually got there before 3 o'clock, closer to 2.30, and we were actually airborne a little bit before three, and I thought that was pretty impressive. Well, I appreciate that, Gary, because you know I was eager because I wanted to get into a hundred mile an hour airplane. I didn't realize that you your tender tires um, <laughs> did impact the top speed of it as much as it did. But I was impressed with them because I got to stare at them for I think twelve <laughs> hours going out, and I think eighteen no. hours. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> and now, actually, we take off at three o'clock in the morning, and it is freaking hot at altitude. We're like 6,500, well, actually, close to 7,500 going out there. And it's like 90 something degrees outside atmospheric temperature. Yeah, I, I questioned Gary's EFIS. Uh, uh, I said, This is not this hot out. It can't be. It's uh, yeah, four in the morning. It wasn't true because my cylinder head temperatures were warmer. My oil temperature was warmer. I was warmer. Uh, it was it was warm. We were in an inversion for sure. But, you know, didn't seem to phase John pretty much because he basically broke out his little pillow and just took a nap for a while. <laughs> and, well, uh, there was nothing but, to see. You were going over eastern Colorado at four in the morning. Well, Come on. He left me and George all alone. <laughs> now, George is the autopilot. And the yes. autopilot worked flawlessly. George was absolutely Johnny on the spot all the way out. It was wonderful. Yes. Yeah, it was he's great. High. And I was like, damn, I need this Dynon system because he's got the top-notch Dynon system. He just pushes the button on the stick and it's like, we're going this way. <laughs> and you don't have to – we just you know stare out those windows looking at those damn tundra tires the whole <laughs> way. Well, we got that greenhouse to fly in. Anyway, we made it all the way to our, our planned stop for fuel right outside of Oshkosh, which was Reedsburg, uh, where we were going to pick up some fuel. And a front had just gone through because, as you know, there had been quite a few rainstorms for the last couple of days there. And another one had just preceded us. We had been watching on radar for like two or 300 miles out with the ADSB that I get in, which is great. Yeah, uh, through the Dynon, which is 
working flawlessly, can I say? <laughs> yes, it was. And we get there, we, we fuel up, and all of a sudden we're, we're thinking about bugging out again to Oshkosh, and we see this massive, I mean, massive black wall coming towards us. I mean, it was scary looking at the guy that was working in the airport says, uh, I think, you know, maybe we ought to pull your plane in the hangar for a while. And uh, certainly he cleared some space. We shoved a couple of planes in there real quick, got a little bit of rain. Uh, nothing in nasty hails, tornadoes or anything like that. Like I know some other people had some plane damage here at Oshkosh this year. Uh, so we got lucky there. But then right after that, they closed down Oshkosh uh, again due to ground saturation because of all the heavy rains. So John got and I got to spend uh, a lovely night in Reedsburg, had nice pizza and beer at Pizza Hut and just kind of kicked back and just said, well, that's okay. Now, Gary, was it as good as the Black Squirrel Lounge or was it, you know, like a step down? <laughs> well, I couldn't get him we, to go back to the Black Squirrel. No, we went to the Black Squirrel. Too. He wouldn't go inside. <laughs> Gary would not go inside. He goes, no, I I don't want to relive this. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could be having flashbacks on that one. <laughs> so the next morning, we're, we're get up and we're still watching. You know, we're getting the texts that Oshkosh is sending out, which actually I thought was very nice this year uh, that we got statuses on the airport. Rather than a billion people trying to call that one phone number to see if you could likely get through to find out what the recorded messages was, they were broadcasting, uh, you know, group text out to everybody. You know, telling the field, you know, status of the field and Ripon and Fisk and what's going on. And so that was very helpful. But unfortunately, the word we kept getting all the time is field is closed, field is closed. And we're looking at each other and we don't think it's going to open up anytime in the next couple of days is what I originally thought was. But then we came up with a brilliant idea. We'd relocate down to Fond du Lac because we know that they have camping down there. And we were pretty sure that they had a bus shuttle that would take us back and forth, which they do. So we loaded up pretty early in the morning, about 7.30, 8 o'clock, hoofed it down to, to Fond du Lac, uh, got there. We just staked the plane down, and we get another text message. And, John, what did that say? <laughs> John. Uh, John's eating cookies. Anyway, so it said, field is it's closed. It said, unless- hold on, I got it. Okay. It said, Tundra tires can come in, all others are you know no so i look at gary and i go you could these aren't tender tires these are these are big tires they're not tundra tires that says tundra tire right on it dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey if it's on the internet you can't argue with that no, and i did stare I at those tundra tires the entire 10 hours to get to there yeah so we ripped up stakes again threw them in there and we were able to take the, the back route into Oshkosh. There's actually another railroad track from Fond du Lac uh, that kind of goes up the western edge of Lake Winnebago. And so it was just me. and well, Actually, there were, there were a couple of cubs that took off really quick before us because I don't even think they had staked down yet. And they had they had tundra tires on them. It was like a flight of four of those. And there was a mall that took off, too, that bugged out. And then I was right behind them. And so we were able to follow up that, that Eastern Railroad track where there was no traffic whatsoever and just dogleg it in for kind of a, a left base to 3-6 right and landed there. And so we got to taxi all the way down. Uh, and I have to say, I did one of my, my famous high-speed taxis because they landed me kind of short on the runway. They gave me one of the earlier dots. And we still had to go all the way to the end of the runway because they weren't turning anybody into the grass like they normally do. 
So we just kind of wheelied it all the way down to do a high-speed taxi on the two main wheels until we got really, really close, and we plopped it down on the nose wheel. And so that that expedited that long taxi for quite a bit. And then we got into parking and had to negotiate where they were going to stick us. Uh, but we got a little spot just shortly off of that big P1 uh, uh, paved ramp they got there right outside the home builders pavilion and started tying down there. So my my hybrid cruiser, the big tires, was lucky that I had it because we got it in. Okay. Now so. we will talk about the return home. Yeah, that's <laughs> That's where it gets interesting. It does get a little more interesting that way, yes. So despite all that flight being great, flying in the home-built showcase was great, everything else, we took off. And we get to Reedsburg, where we're going to stop again, once again, to pick up fuel before we start heading out. And, and we'll pull up to the gas tank, and John starts to, you know, he's getting everything kind of prepped, and he starts pulling out the static line from the pump to hook it on to me. And he says, Gary. John. <laughs> oh. Gary, we ain't got no tailpipe. No tailpipe. No, the no, tailpipe no. was completely missing from the muffler box. And so we don't know when it came off. We never noticed a change, couldn't hear anything. You know, it's a fairly quiet combination anyway, especially with the noise of canceling headsets. We didn't know if it had just fallen out two minutes ago or 30 minutes ago. You know, No, Gary, I did suspect, head. though, Gary, on that landing at Reesburg, <laughs> It was the worst landing you ever did, and there was a little bit of a bounce, a little more than normal. Could have dislodged it, like a, like a four G well, bounce or what? No, 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 no. no, no. It was it wasn't a, a typical uh, uh, Jeff uh, Tigger landing, but it was it was not typical Gary. Well, the purpose we came in on a crossway runway and we were trying to get that first that first turn off to get to the ramp. And so it was going to be very, very short. So I had to bring it in tight. But beside that, though, anyway, so we get to the, to the <laughs> thing, we find the tailpipe. So what are we going to do? And we, we think about it. We decide actually to try to take off again. And I turned my carbon monoxide detector on. And sure enough, it started to go up. So we had just had to turn around and come back. And as we're now, running back across Gary, the runway, it not only went up, but it went into danger zone. Within five minutes. Okay, you keep exaggerating, but that's okay. No, it wasn't. It was it was chirping and yelling at us, and I'm like looking at you going, is this a bad thing? And he goes, yeah, we're going back. All right. So as we land, now on the opposite end of the runway, there's our tailpipe. So it didn't fall off when I did the first landing, it, but it had eventually worked its way off and, and fell off where we did the turnaround to taxi back. And so we were lucky. I said, damn, there it is. So we, you know, I, we pulled around, did another U-turn and stopped. And John, you know, jumped out and grabbed the tailpipe and brought it back. And it was still attached. The tailpipe was still attached to the outlet, the muffler outlet. Uh, just the whole outlet, it seemed, had come right off the muffler box. Okay, wait So a we second. spent so three hours in Reedsburg, you know, trying to get that repaired and get that done. So we get that all welded back up and shoved back in and we're, we're taking off again. So now we're still on our way home. We're, we know it's going to get late because we're fighting headwinds. You know, we're losing about 25% of our ground speed uh, because of the headwinds going back. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the Atahars on my system just goes bonkers. It starts showing air speeds from like zero to 400. It shows hey, Gary, what? what was the first indicator that went nuts? When we went about 45 degrees off because Georgia was flying? 
Well, that was one of the times, yeah. All of a sudden, yeah, it does a left nosedive. And so I had to hit the autopilot disconnect on the yoke really quick. So that was interesting. <laughs> and the altimeter would go from like minus 4,000 feet to 50,500 feet. I, I saw that, I saw that picture. <laughs> was doing all kinds of weird stuff. So eventually, it would stay for for a couple of minutes, then it would just go wacko again. So finally, I just took the whole screen off and just I uh, just went with my EMS systems, which was a whole separate box. And so I had all still had my RPMs and my fuel and my temperatures, and we yes. had enough uh, supportive information with airspeeds and, and altitudes and, and mapping situations to get us back home. Yeah, Gary. Um... During this this whole episode, you know, it, I, I took uh, I, I hand hand flew the plane while he basically reconfigured his EFIS to turn off all the damn alarms, which are really cool when you're um, when it's working it's normally. Really but 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 it was it, it was nagging us on everything from check your pitot tube to uh, airspeed. You know, all these warnings were were just constantly going, and he had to turn all that off manually one by one and he got down to a basic EFIS screen which was just our EMS but that got us home I mean we really had no problems we just kept switching off you know hand flying it all the way back since George was snoozing on us George was snoozing we were 12 hours out and it was getting dark yeah yeah but we and got we're in, flying we on a, our iPhones yeah we got <laughs> in about 1130 at night so, Gary, what is your work in theory on why it uh, took a nosedive like that? Why the AHARs quit? Well, you know, and in, in, in everything's always in retrospect. Uh, but I had been noticing uh, previously that I was getting some indications from my AHARs, my attitude in particular, that really wasn't matching my outside. You know, sometimes when I would first start flying in the morning, it just seemed as if it was getting lazy and, and taking time to erect, which it really shouldn't be doing you know, for a digital type system. And, you know, I, I still was thinking, well, perhaps it's where I have a mount that I'm getting some airframe vibration to it. That's messing with the MIMS and just not quite giving an adequate reading. And I had been troubleshooting with that, trying to, to put some more stiffeners in there and vibration dampeners and that kind of stuff. And, you know, we always kind of assume it's, it's something we've done or our installation or whatever it happens to be. Uh, but now, of course, in hindsight, looking at the way this thing really crapped out, I think that was just the beginning pangs of it. And it just wasn't, it just was not obvious enough, or I didn't have the previous experience to say, yeah, this thing's really going to crap out on me. I need to do something about it. So you think it was a hard fault inside the unit, not a pedostatic plumbing problem or anything like that? No, 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 absolutely not. With the way it was indicating it, it was definitely dying from the inside out. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah the indication was, see, it, it I just. Can see, no, I can see no pedostatic installation system that had been working for 260 hours that will show a, a fluctuating airspeed of 400 knots and 50,000 feet. Yeah. You know, we, we started that thing for 12 hours, and it was it was definitely a cycling problem, uh, definitely a noise or, or a, a, a signal problem to the main computer because it would suddenly – it would be working great, and suddenly it would just go completely bonkers. And the, the symptoms were – this would flash. These lights would flash, and then suddenly everything. We'd lose GPS. We'd lose um, the AHARs, all the the computer pickups from all the different sensors. Hmm. But anyway, that's already ripped out. I just got an email from Dynon today. They've received it, so hopefully they'll get some diagnostics and get back to me here in the next week. Yeah. 
you ought to download your data and uh, and post it so we can take a look at the rapidly fluctuating nature of it. <laughs> That'd be cool. I did. I did at the time. I did get a, a diagnostic file that I captured in case uh, Dynon wanted to look at it. But after speaking to him and, and kind of giving him the symptoms of it, yeah, he really thought too it was just add a horse and just to send it back and they take a look at it and see yeah. if they figure it out. Well, I'm sure Dynon will will do the right thing and it won't be any sweat to get a new one. So they. They take that yeah, stuff pretty so. seriously. They've been, they've been pretty good so far with the other, other issues that I've had as well. Yeah. Well, I think one of the, the real benefits we had was we had two qualified pilots. So when Gary was really trying to diagnose it, I was able to fly the plane without him worrying about, you know, me making off course or, or doing something crazy. So he could focus on, on troubleshooting it. And, you know, we didn't need all those avionics. They were nice, really nice to have on the way out, but. Um, yeah, they're nice toys, but you don't have to have them. And we just hand off because it was a long flight and, you know, he get tired, I get tired. And, you know, we both complain about the, our ability to uh, follow the track on our iPhones. There's, there's a reason why his, your son bailed out because you, you needed John. <laughs> oh, so you think he's psychic now, huh? <laughs> uh, I, 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 saved, I saved Gary. Gary is here because of me. So that's why I'm right. running with that. Well, we knew it was coming around to this now, didn't we, Jeff? It was all meant to be. It was, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, Actually, you know, I, I go back and it isn't the, the show, it's the, the adventure. And this was definitely an adventure. I've had my own adventures in my Sonics coming back from Oshkosh. This was a lot more fun because it was a lot more, well, there's a lot more of it. Because <laughs> a lot more of it, yeah. Hmm, this required yeah. more troubleshooting. Yeah. I hadn't flown at night since 2010, and it was kind of interesting to fly at night in a single-engine experimental plane with a faulty EFIS. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, for our reader, for our, our, our readers, our listeners, though, I, I did have a Dynan D2, which is a, a supplemental, independent added uh, Adahars unit uh, that could that could cross feed to to our iPads and, and feed us in you know, all the, the basic parameters that we needed for, for, for flight. And of course we still had navigational components uh, in our uh, electronic flight bags as well. Yeah. And I, I will say that Gary had a lot of the backups. I mean, having the, uh, the uh, digital uh, CO detector was critical in finding this problem. Um, having that, that external Dynon uh, attitude, thing was great because I, I flew that when I was flying and flying it, I was staring at that thing the whole time. Um, so he definitely was prepared for the central system to fail. Yeah. Especially since now it's my second one. So I'm kind of getting polished, I guess. <laughs> and Gary, I bought um, that uh, digital uh, CO detector just because of this situation. Yeah, that's maybe something we ought to talk about. I don't know if you got a, a moment, Jeff. We talk about, I know you've seen the, the, the articles in, in consumer aviation and other places talking about the need for a carbon monoxide detector. Uh, a lot of people, even John was saying that, well, you know, he's got the spot unit, the little paper disc that you put up on there. And it's, it, it, I think it's been fairly well conclusively determined those things are nothing more than psychological band-aids and, and not really very effective. Uh, some people try to carry the, the Home Depot style uh, home environments, but you have to look at when they're going to start to alarm. And some of them are that really quite high, like 100 parts per million. 
the one that uh, that I got that consumer aviation recommends and has gone through like AOPA, I mean, uh, sporties and so forth. It's fairly pricey, uh, but it's digital. It's hypersensitive. I mean, it starts counting from from zero. Uh, it presets at an initial alarm of about 30 parts per million, which is really pretty low. And, you know, we hit up to, I think, John, about 50 parts per million uh, at one time when it was really starting to really flash. And it does. It gives you a really obnoxious flashing light and beeping sound to get your attention very, very quickly. Uh, if you put it by fresh air, you just instantly see it go down. You put it back down by the dash again where it was sucking in that stuff, and it would, you would just see it skyrocket. And so it wasn't like you had to spend much time in it to realize there was a problem. We needed to make a 180-degree turn. Uh, and so I, I do really recommend that, that people start to think more and more about those carbon monoxide detectors, especially uh, if you had an incident where we knew we had a tailpipe problem and we were watching it, but especially when you're flying in the wintertime, too, and you are starting to use more, more cabin heat if you have that type of system that's running off of a muff. Uh, because it can sneak up on you pretty quickly, and you like to catch it as early as possible. Well, one of the things that we played with while we were having that problem, it was we kept changing the ventilation in the cockpit. Um, and so in in the Zenith, Gary can't open any windows. All he has is two uh, ports on the on the side glass that either blows air in or it sucks it out. And if you flip those to suck out, the CO level went up dramatically. Uh, it was amazing. As well as How the much... rain through, through as well. Let's come in. Oh, yeah, the rain. Yeah. If, if we uh -huh. tried to, to suck out um, his uh, seals on the uh, – we, we flew through a bit of rain. Um, through the back of the wind, the uh, canopy, I guess it, – yeah, it's canopy because it's a high wing, but it has a, a glass thing. It was sucking in water from the back and dripping down our backs. But we turned it to positive pressure and the rain would stop. It's gone. Yeah, the water doesn't come in. The Sonics is a little bit leakier, I think, and would be a different situation. But unless you can open a door or a window, um, right. yeah, that CO is a definite problem. And it, it's changed my mind on that whole CO monitoring. Well, and the key is that you get an alert while you still have time to do something about it. So if you wait until you've noticed the physiological effects, you may already be too far impaired to really do anything significant. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned 50 parts per million. You know, that's that's not at the point where you're at risk of sudden incapacitation, but you are definitely uh, taking some accumulated stress at that level. And um, after a while, it's yeah, going to get... Yeah, but you'd have to be there for quite a period of time at that level. Yeah. And and we were, we were only doing it for like 10 minutes or so by the time we hit right. the ground again. Hmm. Well, good. I'm glad that worked out. And that's yeah. a good point. I have one of the little spot indicators on my dash. And um, I, I acknowledge and I know that they're not very sensitive. But I have not, not wanted to spend the big bucks to buy a more reliable one. So maybe I need to rethink that as well. Well, what I used to have a little spot thing on mine, and I, I agree with Gary. It's, it's a, a feel-good thing. It's going to turn black, and you don't know, have any idea at what level you are at and when it happened. You're just going to look over there and go, oh, it's black. I have a problem. And you'll you'll deal with it, but you don't know how what, what your exposure level was or what, what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Is there? It's too bad. There's nothing like in between. You know that you could versus. You know, cheap versus expensive. Is there anything in between? It's- well, you know, these things aren't that expensive. Gary, I think you spent like two hundred, a little over two hundred bucks on this thing. Yeah, I'm thinking one hundred fifty to two hundred in that range. I oh, that's not bad then. Okay. Yeah. No, this is. Well, you were I talking. Mean, this expense, is not. I wasn't sure what you were talking about, though. So, well, the- for a lot of people, for a carbon monoxide detector, it's, it's always been one of those things. We say, yeah, we probably should get one. But you look at the price of the of the aviation grade ones you say, Oh, I'll just put one of the spots up there. That'll be good enough. But it really isn't. Um, I mean, there are some other ones out there, uh, but this one was just so highly rated. I can, and John and I will test too, that uh, it was, it was instantaneous readings one way or the other, depending on how we had the dents. It just, it was just a no brainer. And Gary, remind us which model you're talking about. What do you have? Uh, I think it's called Tosin. I, John probably knows the model number better than I do. I, I, <laughs> I don't. Last year. I don't know. I, I stared at it as we were, uh, you know, dying in the cockpit. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, memory loss is a is a is a problem with carbon monoxide. It's the first step. You know, the other thing is, you know, it, his is mobile, so it it's a little, you know, like a handheld, smaller cell phone. And I was able to hold it up to our faces and see what the exposure level was that we were breathing, and then hold it down to the feet where we thought the the uh, the gases were coming in, and then hold it up to the windows and hold it up over here and there, and and see where you know are we really in danger here? Yeah, you can use it as a sniffer, as a detectant too, uh, as to where you think the problem's coming from, which is nice, versus having one that's fixed in one location. And that's why I think the failure of the ones that are in the panel. Spot. You can buy those expensive ones that are panel mounted, but you yeah, don't know where I it like, is. Yeah, I like to be able to move it around and figure out exactly where more things are coming from. Hmm. Cool. And you said you can get it from Sporties and probably Spruce. Yeah, I'm sure from both of them. I, I got my Sporties. I've been looking on Amazon. And you can get them for like 99 bucks. Um, they're used by home inspectors and uh, automotive mechanics. To, to determine, you know, quickly, is there an exhaust leak? Mm, yeah. Well, good. I'm going to have to pick one up. Good. Yeah, man. Me too. So uh, I guess everything worked out. You, uh, you found your tailpipe. And, uh, Gary, I was just yeah. thinking, you know, uh, I don't know which is more embarrassing, losing parts on a landing or having to do the walk of shame to go pick them back up afterwards. Well, I was ecstatic to find it, to be honest. <laughs> I did the walk of shame. I jumped out of the cockpit and on the runway and grabbed it. So. <laughs> but it you all worked out. Day. Get it all repaired. Get your uh, There ARs was no changed. shame. Yeah. <laughs> no, but unfortunately, we'd had, there had been a previous discussion just the week uh, prior to uh, another – actually, two other people had reported the same incidents. Uh, we thought that mine was going to be a little less – uh, prone to that because they had already come out and remanufactured the muffler box with an extra welded bracket between the box and the outlet sleeve. And, you know, UL thought that was really going to be the, the, the end all of it, but obviously it's not quite. And you had so those still, modifications on yours. I did. I, even, I had the newest model. Yeah. So okay. It's still kind of a work in progress. Yep. Well, my trip going home was uh, a whole lot less, uh, you know, eventful. We just uh, jumped in the car and drove. It's about a nine-hour drive back to Kansas City, and uh, we didn't have any problems. 
But I do want to give a shout out to the dorms. Um, it worked out really nice. The dorm room was very comfortable. We did happen to get a, an AC room. So thanks for Bob, Micah, and uh, tracking that down. He's like a bloodhound on dorm rooms. He he uh, he took care of us. And uh, I do want to confirm that the AC, uh, it was really, really nice. And having that room, you know, basically blowing snowflakes at night made a big help in, in uh, getting a decent night's sleep. But as predicted, the linens they provide in the dorm are like straight up prison linens. You don't want that. Bring your own because I couldn't keep those sheets on the bed. They were just, it was the worst linens ever. So bring a blanket, bring sheets, do something because that, that was almost enough to, you know, take the smile off my face. Almost. Jeff, how do you know about prison linens? Well, you know, I have uh, been institutionalized in my entire adult life. Um, so it's been in the army. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm very familiar that we share a lot in common with the prison system. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the dorms, uh, they get uh, two thumbs up. And uh, I got home and I was tired. I needed a day to recover from, from being in there for the, for the week that we were out. Um, lots of walking, you know, comfortable shoes are a must and my feet were sore. And uh, lots of sunscreen and make sure you got a good hat. You know, my feet weren't sore at all. I wonder why. Well, you know, uh, I I should have done like you and uh, rented a little scooter because uh, that might I was be another dragging. story. There might can we story talk about, about the scooter? That we yeah. did not talk about the beat down. <laughs> so ahead. Gary is 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 touting his scooter because he is he is absolutely just pickled that he rents a scooter for the whole week and he takes it back to camp and he. He can just ride around, and he's never exhausted. And, and Mike and I are just like beating our feet and, and trying to keep up with Gary. Yep, so we go to this. Uh, got a little basket. We, yeah, he's got a little basket. He's got his little Hello Kitty uh, backpack <laughs> yeah. in the front of it, and you know he's living large. All the necessities. Yeah. All the necessities he needs. So we're. Uh, we're at some uh, one of the one of the forums or something, and we come out. Oh, and that's right. The home built hangar. Oh, oh yeah, you forgot about this, Gary. Yes. Yeah, this is the funnest part of the whole trip, I think. Uh, he comes out of the the home built hangar, and his and scooter's say, gone. Where Where's my horse? <laughs> Where is my stallion? We have a horse thief in our midst. And we're looking around, and, you know, there's, like, a thousand of these scooters and old guys and like Gary, and they're riding around. <laughs> but he has his key in his hand because he, he took his key out of the out of the scooter. I said, Gary, uh, put that key in that other scooter. It looks just like yours. And he did, and it worked. I, said, eh, I think we have the solution here. This guy, uh, he jumped on your scooter, put his key in, and he's he's running away. Well, so Gary, in his in his in his brilliance, he left his iPad in his Hello Kitty backpack inside of his old scooter, and I, you know, we we, we started talking. We go, okay, where would you know? What are we gonna do? Because you know, we this guy's got his scooter and he's gone, you know, uh, out into the show. So we log into uh, find my iPhone on my phone through Gary's ID and his iPad is awake and transmitting its position. And we triangulate and we chase down 
this guy all the way into Warbirds. This moving target. A moving target. And I'm looking at my iPhone going, okay, left, right, left, forward, 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 forward. He's 100 yards ahead of us. Do you see him? No, I don't see him yet. And we triangulate him. We catch him. We catch the guy. And Gary doesn't throw down on him. (laughs) No, we're driving. Oh, by the way, Gary is driving his cart because we knew it was his cart that he'd mistaken. So we've got, you know, this this posse going to go uh, chase down uh, this uh, miscreant. It was kind of fun. I th- that was kind of a high point in my, my show. Yeah, but I think the guy must have had it for, what, 30, 40 minutes, and he still never realized it wasn't even his stuff. Had my no. hat in the bag, my name on it, and my different bag. I mean, it was a black bag. Uh, but all kinds of stuff in there that, you know, certainly wasn't his. So, But he was just, he was just oblivious looking at planes. Well, you should have uh, you should have got some of the marshals over at Warbirds to you know to help you track him down because those are some mean marshals and they would have oh, absolutely we, thrown the hit on him. Gary Gary did throw down on him and that was oh John small. John was like a hound dog he was just, just sniffing them back and forth back and forth <laughs> nose was up in the air I couldn't hardly keep up with John he was running so fast and I was in the well I, I kept yelling back at you I said come on speed this thing up or it's we, the we thrill gotta, of the chase we got to get him. Yeah. He's on the I stopped to take. I stopped to take one picture, and I freaking lost him. Mm. And then about fifteen minutes later, I go, "It's a beat." I get to see the text. It's a beat down <laughs> from John. <laughs> well, you know, Mike, that is the code. Uh, you fall behind, you get left behind. That's right. That's <laughs> I, I fell behind. That's why I missed the whole show. Yeah, that was Moral that was story. the story. Most... Watch out for horse thieves. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> It's like he didn't get strung up. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> well, guys, uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed this year's show. Um, despite any of the little challenges with weather and soggy conditions, it was a great show. I had a ton of fun. I had a good time with my brother coming out and visiting and seeing you guys and hanging out at SOS Brothers and doing all the normal <laughs> stuff. So it was great. I can't wait to do it again next year. You got that right. But we'll be there. With the, with the Super B and with mine. Yep, yep. We'll have the whole crew out there again. and That's right. Yeah, Mike's going to have to come Isaac. out here, overnight it, yeah. and then we'll, uh, we'll yep. shoot out in the morning. Yeah, I'll leave a half And we hour won't be looking at, at a 10-hour flight looking at Tundra tires all the way <laughs> that's out. That's right, that's right. Mike, what you Gary need to can... do, Mike, you need to come out like two weeks in advance, fly it to Colorado and drop it off there. And that way, oh, when it's time go. to go to Oshkosh, you just have to, you know, hop on an airliner and pick it hop up. Hop on an airliner and go. And there you go. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. You know, if John, if John can make room in his hangar for me, I might do that. Well, if he doesn't have we room, can... you know, Carl will have it in one of his 14 hangars. Yeah, it's true. I, I can do Carl's <laughs> hangars. This year, we'll the find you a place. Closed. This year, the airport's closed, but uh, Meadow Lake, but, you know, <laughs> next year it won't be. All right, guys. Um, any uh, any last minute thoughts before we wrap this up? I wish I would have flown. It was uh, a, you know, despite all, all the hard times I give John, it was it was a pleasure having him with me. It was a lot of fun, and you know we had now, a good time. Gary and I got along really good. Each other's chops. Yeah, it was pretty good. We didn't beat on each other. Didn't get pissy. That's and good. it was a t- actually it was a pretty challenging flight, but uh, we both kept a pretty good attitude the whole way. Just got it done. That's good. 
All right, guys. Well, enjoy the weekend coming up. Uh, hopefully, you'll get some decent weather out there. We're looking at a really nice weekend. So I think I'm going to make a little flight and uh, take a little short cross country. So uh, To Denver? Not to Denver. I'm going uh, to northern Arkansas. i got to go drop somebody off. So I'm going to play taxi cab. Ah, okay. But it's either that. It's one of it's one of Nicolette's friends. So got to drive or either drive her back home or fly her. And it's a two hour flight or a six hour drive. So I'll take the flight. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. All right, guys. Have a good weekend. Talk to you again soon. All right. All right. You Bye. too. See ya. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Flight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. I don't think I'm going to edit this one at all. I'm just going to, uh, you know, put the intro and exit on and, and hang it and call it good. In the spirit of our on-the-fly Oshkosh episodes, it'll get no there we go. That's a short one, too. It's only like an hour. Yeah, you know. Yeah, hey, uh, now that we got the green light to go as long as we want, you know, there's the pressure's off. Hey. That's what they yeah, all said. Just gluttons. They were gluttons for punishment. Well, who was that? <laughs> was that Pat? Was it Pat, the one that said, oh, I drive. I'm a professional driver, and I drive all day long. And I, yeah, this, he, this he works for the post office or something. And he said, "He said I'm starting. He's starting back on on uh, the, the first uh, the first one." There was a couple of guys there. I'd done all sixty of them. Or yeah, I, I've never listened to one of them myself. <laughs> well, we have listened to them because we recorded them. Well, yeah, I John. I do listen to the ones because you guys always. I'm listening for you guys to mess with me, you know. Which, <laughs> which that does happen. Which that does happen. Oh yeah, well, I, I try to throw in that that and mic slam. Well, we got to keep it little, spontaneous, you know. It puts a little smile on my face, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thanks for doing that for me. Anytime. <laughs> it's something to look forward to, you know. <laughs> All right, guys. Yeah, All right, I'm out. We'll see you. Bye. All right. Have fun this weekend. See you. Yep. All right. Bye. All right. Man. See you. Bye.